Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Just moving my mic around here. <laughs> two nights, two, two games, Bruce, against really good teams from the Eastern Conference. And two games where the Edmonton Oilers dominated. And... Um, I'm not saying the Oilers have turned a corner in this season, but they've taken a major, this is a major step because these wins were were different than other wins in uh, recent months for the Oilers. This looked like the 16 and five Oilers, but not doing it, not, not needing the power play to do it, but even strength dominating the other team and dominating with Firewag and hockey. Fast, aggressive, attacking hockey, shot, shot, shot on net, go hard to the net, attack the net. Um, it's, it's, uh, and I'll just sort of, that's, that's my first good thing is this is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast. Since I'm talking about this already, this kind of offensive play is a strength of the owners. It sh- it should like, you know, I think all year they've been in a team in search of a definition who are they? What kind of team is this? And I don't really know, you know, Tippett was a de- known as a defensive hockey coach. And, um, you know, but the, the team fell apart defensively under him. And, and his offense was also pretty stagnant, including in the end on the power play, which they had relied on. And, um, you know, if this is real, and, you know, tonight the grade A shots were 24, Four to what was it? Twenty-four to twenty-four to ten for the orders in grade A shots, and in five alarm shots, eleven to four. And this is really similar to the numbers we saw in the Washington game. So what we're seeing here is absolute offensive dominance from the Edmonton Oilers, and this is a team which now has the forwards that can dominate. And the interesting thing tonight, Bruce, was their defensive group. Darnell Nurse, Cody Cece, Duncan Keith, Evan Bouchard, Tyson Berry, and Philip Brobury. I can't remember when the Oilers last had six defensemen who could move the puck as adeptly as those six hockey players can. And um, it made a difference tonight. They were moving the puck constantly, getting it up the ice. They weren't fumbling it. They weren't passing it back. (laughs) <laughs> the old Smeed Steos play, keep passing it back until you're stuck behind your net, wedged behind your net. <laughs> and then ring it around the glass. <laughs> ring it around the glass. That's the, yeah, the Chris Russell play. I mean, they don't have that aspect right now. These guys can all really move the puck. And mm-hmm. they're all they're all really moving it. They were tonight. And um, it made a big difference. I mean, on the, you know, the first goal um, we saw, it, it started off, there's a couple little precursor plays, you know, um, Warren Fogel making a diving stab for the puck and knocking it away from a Washington player and Yamamoto making a big hit. But then Tyson Berry stepped up and just popped the puck forward very smartly and uh, to Yamamoto who put it to McDavid. So that was just one example of um, the kind of smart, quick puck moving that we're seeing with this group of hockey players. I mean, Bouchard can really pass the puck. And he's he's looked good with, with Keith so far. Duncan Keith, all year long, Duncan Keith has passed the puck in superb fashion. 
Um, he hasn't defended well, but he's really moved the puck. CC and Nurse are good puck movers. And, you know, Tyson Berry is an offensive hockey player. And, and Broberry is kind of, he's such an interesting hockey player. And I just think we're starting to see, um, see what he might be. Because he's got, you know, the the play that I the plays that I'm loving right now is his neutral zone play where he jumps up and the the other team's rushing it out or trying to form an attack and he just suddenly leaps up with his huge reach and agility and knocks the puck off their stick, and we see that usually a couple times a game, but he seems like a pretty cool customer with the puck, and um, increasingly cool with the puck, and as long as he survives and doesn't get driven through the end boards, you know, he's got to figure this out. He does have to figure that out, yes. how to protect himself better. This looks like a top four NHL demon, you know, who is, is fingers crossed, at least who is as good as Oscar Clefbaum and maybe will trend even higher. You know, we never really saw what Oscar Clefbaum could be because he kept getting hurt. So we don't really know. Right. what kind of player Oscar Kleppbaum might have been. I think we got an inkling of it in the 2017 playoffs when he was probably the best oiler uh, in the first series and and one of the best oilers in the playoffs. Just outstanding. And that, But he just kept getting hurt. So with, with Broberry, we're seeing this, you know, incredible size, agility, strong passing ability, um, plays kind of an intuitive game, but plays it very well. And... Uh, um, so it's all coming together, Bruce, right now. It has come together the last two games, and that was very impressive tonight. So that's my first good thing. It was just just, just, just all-around great attacking hockey from the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, well, Barry in for William Lagason, and, and then you look around, and all of a sudden you think, well, who in this, in this group can't move the puck? And sort of the most pedestrian-looking guy out of those six guys might be Cody Cece. And all he did was impress me all game long with his ability to collect the puck behind his own net and get it moving in the right direction. He did it over and over again. And, uh, you know, not real uh, great, exciting, creative passes, but just constructive puck movement, get it going in the right direction. And all the other guys have some different abilities. I mean, Barry on the one goal, he, he slightly whiffed a clearing pass, but, you know, everything was set up right. He just didn't execute that particular play, but uh, he made, you know, two passes that earned him assists and was moving the puck well. And You know, you get that kind of uh, of uh, pucks going forward. The Oilers had the puck an awful lot in this game. Awful lot of time. The puck was on Edmonton sticks. And sometimes for long stretches at, at one go. And uh, it was a pretty impressive look against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And, uh, and, a, and a team known for a team known for its skill and puck possession, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, they really are. Yeah. And, and they had some scary moments. I mean, Kucherov Point and uh, Stamkos. That's, that's mm-hmm. a, a scary group of hockey players out there. Yeah. Bruce, what's your uh, first good thing? Yeah, we're gonna, gonna go. We're gonna go with two good things each. We're gonna yeah, break. off of that game, you yeah. might as well, you know, you whip the Stanley Cup champs four-one on Hockey Night in Canada. If we can't find a couple of good things each out of that, anyway, I'm gonna just a little bit go off the board. Although I suspect that this guy got a lot of notice tonight, Ryan McLeod. Uh, he did not show up on the score sheet with any points other than a 
well-deserved plus two on the night uh, with four shots on net and two officially missed shots, both of which hit the crossbar. Uh, one, an absolutely wicked wrister from the slot that absolutely blew away um, a very good Brian X. Elliott in uh, Tampa's net, and it hit the crossbar about an inch inside the stick side post. It was almost a perfect shot. And boy, if Ryan McLeod can develop a shot uh, with power and accuracy from, you know, middle slot, look out. He's got a lot of skill. Like he was flying in this game and I thought he was really, really uh, moving the puck well, really moving his legs well and and connecting that line uh, with uh, him, Drysaddle and Hyman was just buzzing out there. And, and I thought McLeod had a lot to do with that. And he just kept kept catching my eye in a good way over and over again. He played tonight 18 minutes and 46 seconds, including uh, time on both special teams. And he had uh, also a couple takeaways and uh, plus, you know, five and four in the faceoff dot. So all the all the arrows were positive positive arrows for Ryan McLeod tonight. Other than he didn't get any points, but who cares? You know he contributed to a win by the team. And next game maybe it'll be his turn for the for you know the scoring play. But if he's going to play like that, I don't mind whether he scores or not. You know, and in, in, in some sense, it's like he was he was pushing the envelope and uh, and the needle in the right direction. And, put one uh, off his, the crossbar, yeah. Oh, put two off the crossbar. Uh, anyway, his uh, his development this last uh, uh, year and a bit, since he came back from uh, Switzerland last year, lit it up in the AHL. Now this year, I think he's outperformed what we could reasonably expect in his his true rookie NHL season, and uh, he's becoming a you know a player player who matters. Best. I think it was his best game of the season. He made major contributions to five grade A shots. Yep. Uh, I was really impressed with the way, I, I think a couple of those contributions came as he was back checking, lifting sticks on the back check, getting back. Yes. And um, what really impresses me, Bruce, and, and this was on, on the one shot that went up the crossbar when he, when he hauled the puck into the offensive zone and took a shot from the high slot. His confidence with the puck He's playing with a ton of confidence now. He's trying to make plays. He believes he can make plays, and he's doing it because he can make plays. Like he's big enough, fast enough, skilled enough. Yep. And um, yeah, he just looked like he looked like a core thirteen player on the orders. Now, whether that's going to be as a top six winger or as the third line center, we still don't know. But he looked like a core six hockey player and, it, and it's interesting because when Puglia Yarvi comes back I mean these top two lines they just kicked butt tonight yes they totally did Bruce mm -hmm. the, the McDavid Kane Yamamoto line was fantastic mm -hmm. and if anything it was outdone by the dry saddle line mm -hmm. with McLeod and Hyman so yeah these two extremely high functioning lines right now um I don't know where. What are you going to do with Puliar? It's a good. It's a good problem to have. But it, you know that's what they like to say when you got an over. You know, overabundance of talent. But now you can have a third line with. You could conceivably have um, a third line, and when Nuge comes back, of course, yeah. 
then it's even better. But, it, you know, there's going to be injuries, right? So this is the other good news. Now we, they can start to count on, I think, McLeod when there's an injury to, to be one of the core 13, which is absolutely crucial because injuries come constantly in hockey. But it gives you then with this these uh, possible riches on the third line where you're going to have, you could conceivably have Nugent Hopkins and Pugliarvi and Fogel as your third line. Yep. And that's a pretty enticing prospect. Or McLeod, Pugliarvi, or McLeod Yamamoto, or whoever. You know, How can wow. you take Yamamoto off the top line, though, right now? He's just he's crushing it. So, um, it's all over it tonight as well. Or Hyman can play. He's played third line, right? Like in, in Toronto, he played third line. So it's just yeah, all kinds of... All kinds of permutations. Yeah, yeah. What's what's standing out to me about Ryan McLeod more than anything that that sort of feeling that the growth is his confidence. Like yeah. he's really starting to look like he knows that he belongs out there, and he's sort of seeing the possibility of you know putting applying his skill against this league that he's going to be able to make it work. And he was uh, he was. Playing wing tonight, but he looked every bit the top six winger to me and one of the core 12 uh, uh, type players that uh, we can look at going forward. And this is a guy at just at the end of his ELC second round draft choice. Very rare thing, second day draft choice by the orders that might uh, develop into uh, something way, way above his, uh, you know, the draft bet. So, Bruce, my second good thing is Connor McDavid. And he, did he ever look good tonight? Did he, he was so fast. This is like, we haven't really seen this McDavid necessarily for a couple months. And it was great to see him tonight. Man, that mm -hmm. was welcome because, you know, he like Louis DeBrusque said he was like making such fast moves. He was, he, he moves, he was breaking ankles. Well, I, I think he was actually severing legs off bodies tonight. Such was his speed out there. Bruce, he was in on 10, um, 10 major contributions to grade A shots and um, scored two fantastic goals, fantastic in different ways. Like the first one he came in there, he goes by Victor Hedman. It's like, he's, He's like a big freight train. You know, I think I th saw some smokestack lightning coming off McDavid there. He was moving so fast, going around Hedman and then the goalie. And then the next one was just a fabulous shot. He, he, he's in a not particularly dangerous scoring chance position. And if this had been on an Oilers goalie, everyone would have been all, all over the goalie for letting it in. But absolutely fantastic shot, uh, which beat the goalie. Um, Again and again and again, he was in on excellent scoring chances. I think he had 10 face-off wins and five face-off losses. So, um, wow. It's, it's, I don't know quite why we haven't seen McDavid play at that speed. Maybe it's just too hard for anybody to do to crank that up constantly. But it has been missing. Even though mm -hmm. he's, he's been fairly effective in terms of generating grade-A shots, um, these last two months, that's what our numbers tell us. Uh, but his scoring hasn't been great. And, uh, uh he's leading the league, but only by one point. Yeah, exactly. He's Not caught on a What's wrong? He, he should be leading <laughs> by 10 or 20. Well, like, honestly, he should too, you know, right? Like he is Connor McDavid and he's the highest paid player. He's the best player. He's the best attacker. 
So we don't know what it is that, that slowed him. Like he did get COVID. It might've been related to that. Maybe there was an injury. There was a rumor of that. We None of this is known, but it was just great to to know whatever it is. It looks like it's behind him. If, if it was anything, Bruce, it ain't there anymore. He was brilliant. I gave him a nine out of 10. He was one of two players who got a nine out of 10 in this game. And I think you, you're going to cover off the second one of those players right now. Yeah. Well, that um, first McDavid goal... Uh, uh, a little shout out to Kyler Yamamoto, who made an absolutely critical play in the neutral zone to just reach and stop the puck. And he didn't even move it, he just stopped it in place and he just left it where McDavid was able to reach back and pull it in and by at speed. And once McDavid had control, the first guy that would have been on him was dead in the water because he didn't anticipate that puck coming. So then it was McDavid on Hedman, and Hedman wasn't sort of prepared and had his speed up yet. And that turned into a mismatch. I mean, Victor Hedman, one of the very top defensemen in the entire NHL, and McDavid just blew right around him like he was Jack Johnson. You know, I mean, that was... uh... (laughs) That was was, uh, spectacular. Like he was Doug Hicks. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm never uh, going to say anything that's... bad about Doug Hicks. <laughs> oh, why? He, he caught me out on a low tide show one time. Oh, did he? Well, <laughs> Doug Hicks had some real strengths to his game, Bruce. I, I like Doug Hicks a lot. He he would now and then get beat off the rush. We will. I will say that about Doug Hicks. Um. Anyway, um, he was an early oiler for in the NHL. For those of you who don't remember Doug Hicks. And an Albertan, I believe. Is he from Pinoca? Where is he from? That sounds... Yeah, he's certainly from Alberta. Great. Um, is from Pinoca. Doug Hicks. What's your second good thing, Bruce? My second good thing is Leon Dreisaitl, who I thought also had a stupendous game tonight. Not quite maybe as overtly spectacular as uh, McDavid, uh, uh, but a wonderful game all the same. Uh, with a goal and assist... Uh, uh, and uh, five shots on net, uh, like McDavid, two giveaways, but made up for it with two takeaways. A uh, huge night on the faceoff dot, 16 out of 28. So he's really, you know, he's really the mule, the faceoff mule on the order. Yeah. So they use him in a lot of situations on the faceoff. And he just takes way more faceoffs than anyone else. Even if he doesn't have a 75% night, you know, if you come out at 57% out of all those draws and you're more than holding your own that uh, that helps the cause and of course he contributed one of the old dry subtle specials with a uh, uh, a critically important shift on a three on five penalty kill that occurred in the third period just really seconds after tampa bay had scored out of the blue to cut the margin to two to one and they came out of that play with the power play and then another one on a you know legitimate call uh, a little bit later, and the orders were shorthanded for a long stretch. It was uh, uh, a minute and uh, twenty-three seconds. Five on three against Tampa. You know, as you say, Stamkos, uh, Hedman. Point Kucherov, I think Perry was the fifth guy, you know. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, and uh, Leon played a big role in that. A couple of couple of good uh, interceptions with that uh, big paddle of his, and uh, uh, just a, a 
strong shift and, and uh, he wound up playing tonight three minutes and 11 seconds on the penalty kill. Uh, most of any Oilers forward for the second game in a row and overall 24 minutes and, and 36 seconds in just all situations. And some of the passes he made, David, tonight, one was just a, a subtle but quick backhand pass right up the boards. Like the puck was on his stick and was off it, and McDavid was away with the Yamamoto on a two-on-one rush where they wound up pounding away at the net. And I'm still not sure that puck didn't go in. You know, they had a good long look at it. Yeah. Yamamoto was yeah. hanging away, and the puck was in Elliot's pad and was right against the post. And anyway, that all started with a with a uh, with a dry saddle pass, and then another one later in the third where uh, he got. Uh, uh, McLeod hit him on the sidewall with the pass and just on his stick and off, bang, hard pass right across the slot onto Hyman's stick right on the edge of the crease. And Hyman couldn't quite get around Elliott to tuck it home, but it was just such a, you know, an instant strike. It's not like, I'm going to take this pass and I'm going to look around for a while and decide where I'm going to pass. Before the puck got to Leon, he knew what he was going to do with it. Bam, it was off his stick and onto Hyman's. He's, he's such a gifted passer. And then, of course, the critical play that really took the pressure off after they did kill off that three on five. And then uh, in running time, it was only three minutes after Tampa had made it two to one. But uh, uh, in sweat equity, it was a lot longer time than that. But Leon uh, jumped on a loose puck just inside his own blue line off a brutal drop pass by Jan Ruta, who had a very uh, high event game. And Leon jumped on it, and he just outskated. I think it was Hedman for him as well, and he just burned around him, deked uh, Elliot, tucked yeah. him home. And once it was three to one, I felt pretty good again because when it was two nothing, I thought Oilers are dominating this game. Like they're just going to skate it out to the finish line, and that one goal kind of came against the play, and things got nervous for a bit. But uh, thanks in large part to this play by Leon, the Oilers were able to fully seize control again down the stretch and I yeah. just thought we saw a little bit of everything out of, out of Leon tonight quite a few really good defensive plays and interceptions of passes and you know he, he sure gets that stick uh, working for good even he gets burned once in a while as we've discussed but he also makes a lot of a lot of uh, top-notch defensive stops 12 major contributions for grade oh. a shots I gave him a nine out of ten uh, yeah, that's, like that's same as McDavid and and a number of eights, Bruce. I, I you know there, this was and enough lots of sevens. I mean this is just such a great game from the Edmonton Oilers that that's what you should have is lots of players to get a great score of great. Uh, so we're on to bad things. I'm gonna this is just a small thing, but it might have been a big thing. And as you know, as we all know, the Oilers have been haunted by goals against early in in the games. And so this play happened, I think, in the first five minutes of the game. It doesn't show up in our scoring chance chart because it didn't actually result in a grade-A shot because Kucherov, the most, one of the most deadly scorers in the league, missed the net. But um, Darnell Nurse is in the corner with one or two Tampa players, and um, he decides to try, in terms of clearing the puck over, Cody Cece's on the other side of the ice behind the net. And Nurse decides to try a no-look between the legs behind the back pass to Cody Cece. And he, he puts it off his own skate 
and it goes right to, I think it was Point, if I'm not mistaken, who puts it immediately to Kucherov in the slot. And Kucherov has a wide open look. Mm-hmm. Easily could have been one nothing, and he missed the net. And there was an, actually another sequence right at the end of the first period where they missed the net. Um, oh. I think that was Sorelli. On the that power was, play. Oh, that was Bouchard man. and Hyman. That was Bouchard yeah. and Hyman. But this one was Darnell Nurse, you know, soon to be your 9 million plus D-man, your number one D-man. Oh. And, um, okay, Bruce, he's he's in a defensive slump, and he has been for a couple months. And he his play has been marked a, a little bit by a, too much erratic play in his own end. And I don't know why that's happening, but it's something for him to think about. And Because I know he's quite an analytical person. He goes over the videotape. He's thinking hard about about why he's making mistakes all the time. And he's, he, it, I'll tell you what, for the first two or three months, even when the team was going bad, Darnell Nurse was going pretty good. But he hasn't been recently. And I think this play is kind of typifies it. It's instead of keeping it simple, he's trying to do, you know, I, I think the typical criticism is he tries to do too much. Mm-hmm. And, and this certainly fits that narrative. That and I don't even know if that's true, like if he tries to do too much. I, I can't say what it is, but I do think if he tries just to, what I was thinking when you have six defensemen who can move the puck this well, mm-hmm. you will win the game if they focus on making simple plays and simple fundamental defensive play because they have high skill. This is a very high skill right. group. So all they have to do is just, we're not going to take a lot of chances out there. And we're going to make the easy pass when it when it's there. And then, you know, the other stuff will just come because we've got such great skill. That's what I thought should be the strategy for this group of six defensemen. And that pass belied that strategy um, and almost cost the Edmonton Oilers dearly. So that's my bad thing. Okay. My, my bad thing is the one Tampa goal that as mentioned, came kind of like a bolt from the blue midway through the third period, and it was uh, after a face-off in the offensive zone, uh, a face-off where Tampa established control pretty quickly, and they just dumped it out. Guy just did one of those high lob, what I call a punt, out of his own zone and dropped down into Edmonton's zone. Tyson Berry uh, collected the puck, and tried to make a pass up the boards, and he just kind of got about 75. He kind of chunked it in golfing terms. Nah, and didn't quite get it out. And the forwards came back to cover, and it didn't look like it was going to be much of anything. Brad Malone came all the way over to the sideboards, and he crunched a guy. And uh, the winger, Cassian, was already on those boards. And then uh, uh, the uh, third winger, uh, well, third forward on the line, Josh Archibald, he decides to abandon his post in the center of the ice to take a run at Corey Perry. When I looked at the replay, I went, oh, it's Corey Perry. Well, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I can understand at least why you'd want to take a run at him. Uh, but the discipline play there is to hold your position. You've already got your center all the way over there and your other winger on the sideboards. And instead, Josh Archibald decided to take a big run at uh, Corey Perry. And Corey Perry is uh, 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 pretty good at doing what he, exactly what he did there, which was take the hit and make the play and yeah. make a pass across the ice to uh, Zach Bogosian, not the most scary guy in the world. But Zach Bogosian's got the puck now in the middle of the slot 
And all five Oilers are kind of gravitated over to the right wing boards. And the only guy even close enough to to make a play on him uh, is Philip Brobery, who's uh, like 20 feet away. But he closed the gap quick and he reached out. And the puck, I'm convinced of it, clipped the bottom of uh, Brobery's uh, blade of his stick as he tried to get in the lane. I could hear it on one angle. And when I slowed it right down, I could see it just change direction a little bit and handcuffs Koskinen. And, you know, he just, he moved one way and he couldn't quite recover to close the hole. Uh, but just a series of, of small mistakes to me. The biggest one was by Archibald, who's a rust, rusty, of course, because he hadn't played all year. Um, but that was a play where trying to, you know, trying to run a guy when you're leading 2 nothing in the third period, you know, take care of business first, which is mind your, mind your man. His man was Zach Bogosian. Zach Bogosian wound up getting an uncontested shot because the guy who should be covering him was way out of position. And then in the same sequence, just to make matters worse, after the goal was scored, uh, there was a big scrum that happened when uh, Patrick Maroon, this was kind of, the replay kind of showed it. Uh, I was mad at Malone, and I saw the replay, and, and Maroon gave Malone a shove in the back, and he kind of pushed him forward. And so Malone almost ran into Sergachev, and he gave him an almost identical shove as Maroon gave him, but Sergachev flopped. And the ref took the bait and gave Malone a penalty for uh, for roughing. And it was undisciplined, it was a little bit unlucky, and, uh, you know, I mean, Sergachev took advantage of the situation. I do not think Malone hit Sergachev enough to send him flying like that. And they only had the one replay, but it didn't look like much of a shove. But the bottom line is fourth line went into the shift with a 2-0 lead and they came out of it with a 2-1 lead in Tampa Bay on the power play with 10 minutes left in the third period. That is not a good result. <laughs> <laughs> no, not if you're the fourth line. And I like Malone's game. Like, I thought he played really well other, you know, other than that. Like, I thought he was in, you know, he I, I like that. I like Cassian had a good game. Uh, he was hitting hard. So I like that fourth line. This can happen when you're going for the big hit, right? Like, you can... Yeah. You can throw yourself out of position. Doug Hicks, by the way, is not from Pinocchio. He is from Cold Lake, Alberta. And in his first year with the Oilers, to give Doug Hicks proper credit, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm, he's sharp in his knife for me now that he's got you. Um, he, he had 40 points in 78 games for the Oilers in the Edmonton's inaugural season in the NHL. So that's that's a, quite oh, an accomplishment for plus eighteen. He was a, I think top plus player on the team that year ahead of Gretzky. And he looked good until he didn't look good, and you know the in his third year, just, yeah. in his third year, and he, yeah. the the team just the the team just took a leap ahead of where he was at the at the time as a player. All right, uh, Bruce, and I'll, I'll take your word that the Broberg the Broberry tip was significant on that goal. I thought Koskinen should have had it. And um, hey. if it did shoot up on him, oh. maybe it, it did. Just came maybe. In, it just came inside sure. and found it, you know, it was just you wouldn't a, ex- a handcuff. He was way out. Like, he did everything right on that goal. Koskinen was way out, and suddenly it beat him. Like, I think he's, uh, like, what I would say about him is he's a little slow. He, you know, like, he's a good positional goalie. But when something like that does happen, he's not the goalie who's going to suddenly adjust and make that save because he's a little bit slow. And we saw that, I thought, on the kind of the quick shot in, was it last game, the quick shot from, yeah, from um, the Backstrom. And and then again here where if, if there is a quick adjustment to make, he's not the goalie who's going to make it. 
And that leads to goals against that I personally don't think should happen on shots that I don't think are particularly dangerous. But um, that's what I'll, that's what I'll say about that. Um, my he number. Did, he did make thirty-one saves, and he was named second star between McDavid and Drysaddle. So he must have done something right in there. Second star. I I gave him a six. Like he yeah. didn't. We only had well. How many grade A shots did we get? Like ten. Did they have eleven? Ten or eleven? One goal. Well, if you include. If you, well, that now we changed that one to a grade A, so that's eleven. So um, eleven. So. That's pretty good. Just let in the one goal. You, you could give maybe a seven would have been a more appropriate, but there's only four. There was only four. Five alarm. Definitely not an eight. He didn't have to do enough, but there was only was four or five good. alarm shots, only four or five alarm shots, which is a really low number. So like he, he made a good save early in the game off a tip shot. And then there wasn't really another really difficult chance till the third period till early in the third period. So um, listen, he, a, a seven would be fine too. You could give him a seven. That would be fine. I, maybe I, I shortchanged him a little bit, but I, I did hold him accountable on that goal. Um, maybe more than, maybe more than is reasonable. I could be wrong. Um, so my number, Bruce is 21 and that's the, uh, the number of grade A shots Connor McDavid has had on the breakaway this year and he scored six goals. He scored what he scored one tonight, uh, the first goal. Leon Dreisaitl also got one. And to put that in perspective, his 21, the next two players have 22 combined. That's Dreisaitl and Hyman. And and both of them have two shorthanded, two each shorthanded, and the rest are at even strength. McDavid has 20 at even strength and one on the power play. So um, he obviously has an unparalleled ability, I think, in the NHL to get breakaways. Is there anyone else who, um, I wonder, I wonder, you know, if, if anyone else was tracking the game the way we track the game, um, who would be next in the league? I, I don't know who that might be. No one really comes to mind. Good draw, maybe? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> maybe. Uh, McKinnon. And of course, we count, we count breakaways a little different than uh, uh, many people would consider a breakaway, like what Drysaddle had. Uh, tonight, as opposed to maybe what McDavid had, where he was deep in the offensive zone before he got in and behind. But basically, if this guy's one-on-one against the goalie and deep in the... It's like sometimes we score a breakaway off a turnover in the offensive zone if the guy is left alone in front of the net. So Correct. Uh, we don't... We, we won't do it like... He's got to have. He's got to skate in a bit, like yeah, you know, not, time, not just... time, to, time to deke or, or shoot. Like yeah, he's got the full right. range of chances of of, of uh, options. That's right. He's moving in, and he can go either way, and he can get a shot, or he can deke the goalie. That's what we see as a breakaway, and it can happen very quickly. It doesn't have to be full ice breakaway. But um, tw- so twenty-one times he's done that, and he's got the six goals, including tonight. So, um, it was again. I just want to remark on what a great treat it is to be an Oiler fan in the McDavid era and um, you know it's 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 colored in frustration because the team itself hasn't been great and this year McDavid himself has seemingly like if you look at just his points production he hasn't been great since the new year he's coming on again right now but it is fantastic to see this player like tonight's game was just out of this world good I was just I marveled again and again at his level of skill it was delightful um, the way he can uh, move with the puck and change direction so so rapidly. And, you know, there was one play that you remarked on. I think he won the face off or it was just off a oh. face. 
and he moved One kind of to himself. outside, inside, <laughs> outside, inside into the slot and put it on net. It was just a fantastic display of offensive hockey where he's threading the needle again and again between opposition players stick handling the puck before getting a shot off. It was tremendous. Yeah. He was the only guy on the ice who touched the puck. He won the face off to, off to the side, and then he recovered it himself. And then he was not quite stick handling in the in a phone booth, but he certainly was stick handling within the face off circle. And it seemed like he beat three or four guys, and he wired a shot. I would have loved to see that go in. That would have been a, a pretty special goal. Of, you know, entire sequence where only one player on either team touches the puck right from the drop. So and, and maybe pretty spectacular. Bruce, maybe the thing tonight was he was rested, like he had two days rest. And maybe yep. so maybe all maybe all that's been going on is he got COVID, he got sick. And then it's just been like endless travel, endless games, no rest, no chance for his body to fully recover, get charged, to get some spring in his legs, all those things. And and that's what we've seen. In fact, that makes the most sense about what we've seen, I think, of all the different things that have been talked about. This was the first game since Woodcroft took over a little over a month ago that the Oilers played two in a row in their home ice where they didn't, you know, just play one here and then have to travel again after like it was just another stop on a road trip. It was just like one ginormous month-long road trip. And now that, you know, they got they came back and they they uh, they played the one against Washington and then they got the two clear days off but they got a rest day and then they got a full practice day. And by tonight, they looked a lot fresher. I thought the whole team looked a lot fresher than I've seen for a while. Now they got two more days off to rest up for their next game. So they're they're in a good spot. If they got their game together, they, you know, they have a run of opponents here that they should beat. That doesn't mean they will beat because hockey's a funny game and pucks, pucks bounce in strange it ways. Is. But, it uh, is. You'd like to think they're they're in pretty good shape now for you know they're most they're missing two players but they're not missing like seven or whatever it was not that long ago and uh, you know there's there's lots of arrows pointing in the right direction as you say the defense is looking pretty close to the you know the six that they might if everybody was available I mean they're really only missing Chris Russell at this point and they're choosing the choosing the you know the uh, players on merit as opposed to well we got to call up three guys from the minors because all these guys are on COVID or all got hurt whatever so that's uh that's, yeah uh, a positive so I wonder if Russell's back if they play him over Brobery I don't see how they would at this point like it's just he's just I think so. this this kid how do you keep him out of the lineup the way he's playing the last few games I mean he only played 12-24 tonight so it wasn't like he was he was you know this was third line third parent duty uh, but nonetheless, th- those are pretty solid uh, 12, 24. Bruce, what is your number? Oh, well, my number is going to be 49, which is the number of shots on net Edmonton mustered against the Stanley Cup champs. And I, I keep mentioning that. And I do think the champs are in a little bit of a, of a, of a, um, of a dip. Like they, they came out west and they got beat uh, 7-4 in Winnipeg, 4-1 in Calgary, now 4-1 in Edmonton, now they have to go to Vancouver tomorrow night. And they're, you know, it's a long season and they've played a lot of hockey over the last two years. So you're going to expect a dry spell here and there. And they're probably in one because they didn't have a huge amount of jump, but Edmonton took it to them was part of the reason. And 49 shots on net, I mean, that's a choice. 15 of them on the power play. And, you know, just... Uh, 
uh, Evans was shooting from it everywhere. The only Oilers, all defensemen, had at least two shots on net. Uh, shades of Jim Playfair. Uh, but the only forwards who didn't have any were Josh Archibald, Warren Fogle, who hit the crossbar. And Archibald Zach hit Cass- the post. And Archibald hit the post, you're right. And, uh, and Zach Cassian. Uh, you know, I mean, two of those guys played on the line that only played a handful of minutes. Yeah. And otherwise, they were getting all kinds of crooked numbers. Seven shots by uh, McDavid, six by Hyman, five by Dreisaitl, four each by Yamamoto, McLeod, Kane. I mean, these are the guys he wants shooting the puck for the most part that were uh, that were firing away. And I got to say, Brian Elliott, I thought he was fantastic in this game. And he had a lot of luck from his post. But uh, it was like he was, <clears throat> he was reading a book that he'd read before. Because he knew where to go before the shot. Like he was so well positioned. It looked like here's a pass and a one timer, and, and he's already there and waiting for it. And just just a very subtle, sound positional goalie, which is how you get to 500 games in the NHL as a goalie. That's hard to do, you know. Tampa, man, they just don't miss a beat. They lost Curtis McElhaney to retirement, and they just went out and found another veteran goalie. It was. You know, low key, low maintenance. We'll go in there, you know, when when they need to give the main guy a rest, and otherwise, you know, it'll just do his thing. And they, they got an excellent backup netminder there in Elliott. Alrighty, so we got some games coming up against Eastern Conference teams um, that, uh, in theory are winnable games for the Oilers. They got three three in a row, right? Who who are they coming up? Detroit? Detroit, Buffalo, and New Jersey. And all three beat the Oilers earlier this season. So they, they owe some revenge uh, this week coming up for uh, earlier insults. So uh, it's, uh, but, you know, Detroit, uh, uh, their first, they, they lost three nothing in Calgary tonight, and <clears throat> what was a much more one-sided game than that, from what I saw of it. Yeah, they got a couple of real hot shot rookies in uh, Lucas Raymond and Morris Sider that are going to uh, uh, be entertaining NHL fans for a long time. It'll be they'll be fun to watch, but you'd have to think Edmonton should be favored in all three of these games, and it's just a matter of them, Jay Woodcroft and staff getting them focused to get down to business and take care of it. And uh, Pulley Arvey might be back for Friday's game, I understand, or Thursday's game, I understand, right? That's the rumor. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll see what happens there. Um, Bruce, this is a, I just hope they can keep it going. I mean, they need a winning streak right now. They got to string together some games, like just keep winning, like play your game. Like, and you, you don't know what's going to happen, even at a game where they were as dominant as they were in this game, like forget who the opponent was. The Oilers, the Oilers smushed this other team, but they almost, they almost could have lost the game if on that five on three, I mean, it was two to one then. And the Oilers had been absolutely dominant up to that point, just crushing them on grade a shots and five alarm shots. And, but this is hockey. This is hockey in the NHL where these teams are really close. There's not a lot of difference between the best team and the worst team. And, um, any team can lose any game because uh, often they're one goal game. So Edmonton's going to need some puck luck or get together the, you know, the goaltending and special team stuff like they did at the start of the year. 
but you can't really, this team can't really count on that. Although the power play has looked a lot better. Um, but if they keep playing like this at even strength, like they have in the last two games, this is a winning formula. You will win a lot of hockey games. Even if the goaltending is a little less than the other team, you're going to win a lot of hockey games. If you dominate like this at even strength, like the orders are doing right now, and they've got some guys who can attack. This is a, this is a really strong attacking team. And I, I, you know, I've been bullish on this team throughout the year and encouraged by the talent on the team. And I, and I remain so, and I, I, I think they've underperformed compared to their talent. And, um, but maybe that's about to change. Maybe we're going to, I think the real Oilers is closer to the, that 16 and five team than the team that was so weak. I think that's closer to what they are. Even that, even that team didn't play very many games that were as good as this one. Like they, they no. had it going on on special teams and, I got some bounces in, in some games, and they probably weren't as good as 16 and 5, and they probably weren't as bad as 211 and 2 or whatever. Yeah. But they, they're they're bringing it. And, I mean, they outshot Tampa at 5 and 5 tonight, 30 to 18. I mean, that's uh, that's a big margin. And just the one other thing that's happening that's really good news is they're starting to get some help on the out-of-town scoreboard. Or put another way, some of the teams that... Uh, are right in the playoff fight with them are starting to falter a little bit in recent times. Vegas lost uh, back-to-back in, uh, on Thursday and Friday since the last game. And then today, the Predators lost in regulation. And the uh, uh, Stars lost in regulation. Those are two teams that are right in the wild card battle if it happens to go that way for the Oilers. And the Kings got smoked 5 nothing by the Sharks. And the Kings are a team that was just on this major roll, and maybe they're going to start to come down to earth a little bit. So, you know, those kind of, you know, regulation losses for your rivals is good news. And when you can win your game and gain two points on, you know, three or four teams like the Oilers did today, uh, that's awesome. And so you want, to, you want to build on that and just put it, you know, ideally you want to start putting some distance between yourself and that playoff cut line and, Maybe work your way up where you're not having to play Colorado in the first round. Now that would be nice, wouldn't it, Bruce? That would be good. <laughs> Wonder who the best. So, Bruce, let's just. I'm going to leave with one final little number. So we're talking about even. Look, we're. I. I think I, we're both. Like I look at the score and I take something out of that, but I'm really. I, I'm. I'm really looking at the process of the team, and and I and I think that the number of grade A shots that you you generate and give up are a good indication of what your process is during that game. Are you generating, are you doing the right things to generate really good shot slot shots or are you giving up a ton? So in the last two games, this game, they were at even strength. They were 15 to five in their favor and against Washington, they were 16 to eight. So if we sound, if I sound really excited about this team, it's because as a, someone who looks at process, um, it's, it, we're seeing that we're seeing something that's really working, really coming together here. And it, and I think it is pretty unusual, even for this team this year, um, where they've generally been a little bit better than the other team on even strength shots, but this is, this is significant. Now, maybe they're just, it's just two tired Eastern teams in, in the, they got the, the cold, they got the late February blues in early March here in Alberta. And that's all it is. And it's a bit of a blip and the Oilers are desperate. So, but I, I, just looking at the talent on this team, Bruce, this is a talented hockey team with players who can really move the puck. And I hope they can two out of three games put up this kind of 
put up this kind of offensive display. And I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's crazy talk. So we'll see. Not going to be every night, but it's it should be more nights than not. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for talking again tonight, Bruce. Right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.